I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There is no better group of pots of flower power than forms of the shrubby potentilla. Hello and welcome to This Week in the Garden. I'm Peter Seabrook, here to help with some of your gardening quandaries. Later on, we'll be joined by a rare breed, a really, truly trained seedsman, a friend of mine who's been in the seed trade since the 50s, from Mr Fothergill's Seeds, giving us the wealth of his experience. It's Brian Tallman. My thanks this week to sponsor You Garden. It's a company that a number of you will regularly see on the Ideal TV shopping. So... Thank you, you garden. It's been a very busy few days for me. We've had the Garden Centre Association conference up in uh, Stratford-on-Avon and then across uh, the Channel into Essen, Germany for a really big trade exhibition. I like to go to the Garden Centre Association because we see pictures of uh, over 140 garden centres across Britain and the announcement of the Ruxley Rose Award for the best plant centres always interests me. And this week I need to congratulate Bents up near Manchester, who were the winners of, of what is called the Destination Garden Centre Group, and Cows of Newcastle, who won the Garden Centre classification. I mean, that's just really the size of the centres. They've separated out the very big ones, uh, from the rest uh, and the runners up too I should quickly mention uh, Squires at Twickenham uh, Perryfield in Essex Pacific Nurseries in the Midlands and Sunshine North London we'll have more details and pictures of them in the TV magazine next week and at Essen well my head's spinning 14 halls of all kinds of horticultural products plants, flowers and of course the people. I couldn't walk for two or three metres down an avenue before I'd bump into somebody from Japan or Israel or Australia. I mean, the world and his wife was there. It, it was an amazing place. One thing that did uh, interest me was that uh, I found several of the really quite big companies were still trading in cash. You know, customers coming from the Middle and Far East who wanted to buy seeds and plants are actually still paying in cash. <laughs> Interesting world, isn't it, this electronic age, and some of them still paying with uh, the folding stuff. And then uh, on the other news front, Garden Organic, the uh, gardens up in the Midlands, Wrighton, uh, are negotiating a sale, apparently, for their nine hectare, that's about an 18-acre site, which they're going to sell for four million it's going to go, I think, for other care homes or for domestic dwellings. So uh, that should give them a bit of money to uh, do something exciting with. Uh, I understand, too, that Blackmore and Langdon have moved their delphiniums into greenhouses already. 
uh, so that they'll have stuff in flower for Chelsea. And, and I read recently that the Yamagata University in Japan have found that if you've got delphinium seedlings just up and established and you give them a cool spell under 9 degrees centigrade but not frozen, it brings the flowering uh, much earlier, brings it forward. So uh, if you're sowing seeds of delphinium at this time of the year and you want them to flower as soon as possible in the summer, well then there you are. You need to give them a spell of cold. You know there's still things happening with trees. For the past two weeks we've told you about the new forest going across uh, from Liverpool to Hull and then the tree planting in Yorkshire. This week I hear that Barcham trees in Cambridgeshire have just got planning uh, to have a really big visitor centre, a retail unit and cafe uh, on their really quite extensive uh, production of specimen trees. You know, they grow these really big trees. If you want something instant, they deliver it by, you know, really heavy equipment. Uh, and in no time at all, you can have trees that are 15, 20 feet high to give you instant effect. So it'll be rather nice if we can toodle up uh, into the Cambridgeshire countryside, see their trees, especially in May when the cherries are in flower, have a cup of coffee, quite look forward to that planning development. Now in terms of what to do this week, I, I think it'd be a good thing to try and get a bit of land covered if you want to grow some of your own uh, veg. Uh, just a sheet of clear plastic or, or some cloches or cold frame put over well cultivated soil just for a week or two will really warm it up and then we can start certainly sowing in the warmer parts of the country. I can't wait to get things underway and I've got a few uh, seedlings already up and moving, things like lettuce and cauliflower and cabbage and once that soil's been warmed then it'll be a good thing just to get those out when it's not freezing overnight and get those established under some protection. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My guest today uh, is a real treasure uh, and a friendship that uh, I appreciate no end. Mr. Brian Tolman has been in the sea trade for a good many years. Uh, Brian, can you sort of spell out to us a bit um, your well, experience? I, my experience started in 1959. As far as I was going into engineering, and I was going to have a five-year apprenticeship in engineering, and 
I used to suffer asthma real bad in those days. So I decided to uh, maybe talk to the doctor. He said, you mustn't go into a factory. Can you get a job outside? The only job I could find outside was with a seed company in Merstham in Surrey, and I was trial ground assistant. So I got outside, and that was in 1959. They took me on. They gave me three months trial. They took me on as a, seed, a seedsman apprentice, and literally I had five years going around every single department the seed trade could offer me, with the most fabulous seedsman teaching me. So it was a I didn't realize at the time, but my knowledge today is thank you to all those lovely guys that uh, made me do it right. Well, you know, I think, Brian, you are a real treasure. I mean, the number of people in the trade now with that kind of apprenticeship and that kind of experience, I mean, there are very, very few of you now, aren't there? Yeah, I guess I can't name many. I suppose I'm still above ground, so I suppose I still count. (laughs) (laughs) It is... It's one of those trades that, to be honest, you've got to really be dedicated. My father used to grow sweet peas and croissants as an amateur and enter them into the local post office show. So my very, very first plant he ever touched was sweet peas. I used to help Dad take the tendrils off and put paper bags over the croissant heads. And I was about eight, nine when I did that. And my very first seed I ever remember sowing in my life, apart from sweet peas helping Dad, was literally candy tuft. Um, bought out of Woolworths at the time. I think it was a bees packet. So that was when my life started. And slowly, slowly, as I got into the seed trade proper, my love was germinating seed. I've always and still love germinating seed. We ain't got no plants. If we can't germinate them, we ain't going to plants. But, but why is it, Brian? <laughs> we don't lose that thrill, do we? You know, I'm... Oh, I don't know. Obviously, I'm, I'm the only one in my family that's really, really... Yes, there are gardeners around my uh, extended family, but I've always had that love of seeing that first hint of first radical coming out, the seed and the cotyledon starting to come up, and you can transplant it, and then you end up growing it. And It's never not been a pleasure. I can walk onto a trial ground or in a greenhouse today and still come out with a smile on my face. <laughs> well, we're born lucky, I think, in that respect. Very, yeah, yeah very. In today's world, and very, very lucky. But now you're looking after some really extensive trials for Mr. Fothergills and uh, their seed companies at yeah. Kentford near Newmarket. How long have you been doing that now? I joined them in 2002 as trial ground manager. And I did it in conjunction with running my own little nursery. Um, at the time, I was, I was actually left an American company in 2002. And I thought, I still want to be in the sea trade. So Mr. Fothergill was looking for somebody to start their trials up and get them going. And I walked onto the trial ground when I came to see the bosses here. And I thought, gosh, there's a lot of weed here. I mean, a lot of weed. <laughs> Brian, if land won't grow, weeds won't grow anything, will it? <laughs> no, that's a, a very good sign, isn't it? Yeah. And fat hen or, you know, muckweed, that was, you could have made tens of thousands of bales of muckweed from it. It was it was horrendous. But, you know, over about three years, and you've seen it as you've come over the years, you, you end up getting a bit cleaner. Things are looking a little more happy because you're getting the soil in the right condition. It is very very sandy soil here and a fair bit of flint in amongst it so you have to be very careful where you put your carrots and parsnips and any root veg 
because they start going in the real flinty end of the trial field, you end up, they, they all split uh, into uh, deformed shapes and that. So you do try and choose. And some parts of the trial field are much, much more better loam and they do grow beautiful roots. Well, certainly, you know, I look forward to my visit each summer and, and year on year, it just keeps on improving. And that's another fascination of gardening, isn't it? You, you, you can always do a little bit better or something a little different that, that improves things. Yes, we've, um, we've, we used to have, we've tried all ways of uh, growing things. I've gone peat-free in some things, and of course one has to do whatever you need to grow your crop properly. And any old grow bags or whatever we might have around, well, I've got a heap out on the edge of the trial ground now, which will be spread on the ground, chopped in to the area where I want to put my parsnips, my carrots, leeks, onions. They both really, really adore a little extra because this land drains, drains so quickly. You end up sort of saying, well, you can't keep putting water on because you leach all your goodness out. But putting a little bit of secondhand compost in, chopping it into the top two or three inches works wonders. And I've, uh, over the years, we've only started doing it the last three or four years, and the, we've had the best onions we've ever had on the field this year. Carrots are super. They, all the time you can keep moisture in the ground. Yes, you can put your irrigation on, but it seems to disappear quicker. But if you can hold that moisture in the ground, the product tends to like it better. You're not flooding it all the time. It's got a chance to get its fine root hairs really established and be happy. But no, I've, uh, I've really, really, um, still, even today, we're having a trials meeting after I've spoken with you today. And we're having a trials meeting to see the very first stage of where things are going to go this year. And, well, hopefully, get even better than we did previous year. Well, the, uh, on the poor, poorer areas in the trial ground, uh, they'll be fine for some of the annuals, won't they? Some of your annual flower seeds? Yeah, they, you, can, you can put your um, anything direct sown or even transplanted can go in there. But you do have to, as you say, you do have to be selective. Um, your calendula family can go into poorer ground. Your nasturtium, of course, loves poorer ground. Put nasturtium in too rich ground and it uh, will not flower for you. Yeah, you've got all but leaves you, and no colour. Yeah. All leaves, no colour. But yeah. no, if you, if you can put it in a bit of starvation, um, you tend to have less leaves and more flower. Yeah. Now, in the polytunnels and greenhouses, you grow a tremendous number of tomato and cucumber cultivars, uh, but you have a rather special technique, don't you? I, Out of desperation, really, because it's not very easy here to have automatic irrigation, because when you do trials, and you may be having 150 different tomatoes or whatever, you find that uh, they need different uh, regime to grow. So what I started doing... I put a grow bag on the ground. I've got my ground covered in my pex, put a grow bag on the ground. I then cut the holes where it sort of tells you to do on the grow bag and I set my tomatoes already in a pot, say a five or seven half litre pot that goes on top of the grow bag. I don't even cut any more holes in the bottom of the pots. They just literally the holes already in there. So then they're settled into the top of the grow bag and then you just water them and stand back. But what I found, it that grow bag maintains the water level for me because I can't be here every hour of the day, so I'm needing things to sometimes go two days, one and a half, two days, and that moisture that collects in that grow bag, I don't stab the grow bag, I keep it so it's just got the holes in the top, so any moisture going in, that plant can use. You can end up with fantastic roots in that grow bag. They come straight through the pot the tomatoes planted in, 
or cucumber. Cucumber is exactly the same way. And I've just found over the years it's got better and better. I get better yield, better health. Just everything's worked. Well, now, a number of gardeners, of course, will be away at weekends or away for several days, mm. just as uh, you can't be with the crop every minute of every day. That's right. And, and so just let me, let me uh, be clear in my own mind, you've got the Mipex, which really is just like a plastic covering to yeah, keep... Yeah, just a, a cover that lets water through. Keep, yeah. Yes, keeps it um, sterile. Then the grow bags on the top, you've already yeah. grown the plant, the tomato and cucumber plants, in a five or seven and a half litre. Yeah, I have, right from pricking out and then going into your bigger pot eventually, yeah. And so when they're established in the pot and the roots are beginning to reach the bottom, then you cut a hole in the top of the grow bag and yeah. sit that pot on that hole. And that's all I do, and then I literally water, and you find the water you put in on top of the pot drains through into the grow bag nice and quickly. I always try and use better quality compost, whatever I'm being asked to grow. I try to always make sure it's a beautifully drained compost, not one that acts like a pond. And that you, what you've got to have, you've got to have beautiful roots. And whatever you're growing, it doesn't matter if it's tomatoes, peppers, cucumbers. If your roots are happy, your top's brilliant. Yeah, yes, yeah. And that's, and that's the skill of gardening, isn't it? If, if, you can, yeah. if you can look at a plant and see from the top whether the roots are happy, yeah, that's, exactly. that's the benefit of experience. Yeah, yeah you, can, you can tell from 10 paces that plant is or isn't happy. Yeah, exactly. Now, what about this year? As a result of last year's trials, uh, what have we got new and exciting to look forward to? Well, you know what, I'm in a, I'm in a stage now of not knowing very, very much about it because I don't personally put the trial together. That is the early stages of uh, the others here that are just starting to do it now. So I'm not really able to give you many names because we do try to include new things as, as we have to because we've got to keep the packets modified as far as varieties. So I do tend to always sit back and see what comes out. Now, most of the plants and seeds coming out to the field are just numbers. So, of course, until we get really going, I don't... I, no, I tell you what, I don't really want to know what they are because if you don't know, then you treat every single thing the same. If you have something that's going to be an exclusive in general, it's got to be good. Human nature wants to <laughs> fiddle around with it, you know. And, um, even in my professional days in the professional grower plug market, I was always, always just given numbers. Yes, but now don't be too modest, Brian. You've got that new verbena. You've got that new verbena, haven't you? Well, the new Come. verbena was a. That's a story by itself because we. I've done many verbena. I was working on one called quartz many, many, many years ago, which was a breakthrough at the time. And I've always, always had verbena as a lovely product, but you could never germinate it very well. So all of a sudden, I was walking down the trial ground. I was getting this perfume. And I thought, where's that coming from? And I thought, it's coming off verbena. Now, trailing verbena, especially the blue one that's done from cuttings, always has a beautiful scent on it. But this was seed-raised. So there's me on my hands and knees going up and down about 20 rows of verbena. And I found <laughs> this sky-blue one, which was, well, delightful scent coming off it. I thought, blimey. So I, I literally came in and said to the boss at the time, I said, uh, I'm going to dig that up. So I dug it up and I was running my nursery at the time and I took it over to my nursery and I flowered it, saved the seed from it and I thought, 
fabulous scent still. So my next generation, I grew out about 500 plants, and there was a hint of some pink ones coming in it, as well as this sky blue one. I thought, okay, that also had scent. So we then sort of took it to the next stage. We did a, a mini crop, which we had grown in Holland, and that came back as a sample, and we grew it out, and that also had white. So we had white, soft pink, and a sky blue, all with a lovely scent. Now, that basically took about five, nearly seven years to develop it into a stage where you can actually offer it for sale. But it was one of those things that uh, the perfume caught me. And, I, and, I, and from seed raised of a compactor type uh, verbena was quite rare. And what what have you called that then, Brian? I mean, it's that it's available called, it's available now, isn't it? It is available now, and it's called Sensation. 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 Well, Brian, I look forward to seeing you on the trials this summer, if not before. Oh, and you're they're, they're, welcome. And together we can get on our knees to to uh, <laughs> <laughs> to savor verbena sensation. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a lovely, lovely to see something coming through. I've been in breeding a lot of my life, uh, earlier life, and of course to see things five, six, seven, eight years down the road after they had their first pollination is still a thrill from it. Thank you, Brian. You're very welcome. I like to wear a button whenever possible, and at uh, the GCA conference I had one or two really nice snowdrops got a little clump at home uh, called Hobson's Choice. It has quite big flowers and I was wearing that in the uh, hotel and uh, George came up to me and said, George Bullivant, oh goodness, uh, my mother would have a fit having snowdrops indoors. It's really unlucky. Is that right? That's the first I've come across that. I know it was unlucky to bring May Blossom indoors and in the past the hospitals didn't like red and white flowers together. But are snowdrops unlucky? They have a really nice honey scent, some of them, and you're not going to smell them unless you pick a few and put them in a vase and bring them up a bit closer to your nose. So let me know what you think. Are they really unlucky? Thanks again to our sponsor, you Garden and my producer Charlie Jones and thank you for listening enjoy your garden we'll be back next Thursday discover more at sungardening.co.uk Hold up what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 